Well, hey everyone, Athena Dean Holtz here, and welcome to the All Things Podcast, where we gather once a week to learn and share stories about how God works all things together, writing a story of good, because He is faithful and good. Think about it, 2020 has turned many of our lives upside down, so who couldn't use a major dose of hope? I'd like to ask you to share this podcast with friends or on your social media outlets and perhaps review it on Apple so others will find this podcast easily. Every Wednesday, I'll be chatting with a friend who I know and respect, one of our Redemption Press authors, who will not only share a personal Romans 8.28 story, but also help to give you tips and tools for your life journey. Two episodes a month, we'll have an additional interview with a well-known author, and sprinkled in along the way will be additional Romans 828 stories from our She Writes for Him bootcamp graduates and others the Lord brings my way. So let's get started. Welcome to today's episode of the All Things Podcast. I am super excited to introduce you to two She Writes for Him bootcamp graduates. Sharing their Romans 828 story is a part of the 21 day boot camp experience. And for most, it is the first ever podcast interview experience. In today's episode, you'll meet first Jan Lloyd and then Sue Bowles. Both ladies have amazing Romans 828 stories to share with us today. So you are really going to be encouraged. So let's roll those conversations. Well, I am excited to introduce to you all another boot camp graduate, the She Writes for Him boot camp. And we've had a few mini boot camps. Jan Lloyd was part of a number of our events and just has an encouraging Romans 828 story to share with you all today. So, Jan, first of all, welcome to the All Things Podcast. Thank you so much. It's exciting to be here. Amen. So I am going to just turn the digital stage over to you and ask you to share your favorite Romans 8.28 story where God really was working all things together for good, even when you couldn't see it. Thank you so much. And this happened during a, a really hard time in our family's life. My 20-year-old son at that time, a sophomore at Grace College, uh, was diagnosed with thyroid cancer after what seemed to be an abscessed tooth and all. It was kind of long drawn out. It turned out to be a 13-hour surgery to remove the, the tumor. And then he had radioactive iodine treatments. And, um, and so this was over the course of about a, a month and a half, and uh, it was back in 1998. So this was a long time ago, but it really was so um, arresting because none of us ever dreamed that our healthy basketball playing 20-year-old son would face that. And so after, after that, the treatment, and he was cancer-free as far as they could tell then, we kind of started breathing again. But during that time, it, even though it was really hard, almost like blood sucking for a parent, especially, and for him, he was young in his faith, and he just walked through it with such grace. 
and God was so present, it was almost like it was bathed in light because of the sense of God's presence. Mm. Well, about a month after that, our then 16-year-old daughter came up, came to me and said, Mom, I, I feel lumps in my breast. And so I took her to my gynecologist and he kind of brushed it off. Oh, it's just fibrocystic. She's too young to have breast cancer. And somehow I knew in my heart, this, I, we need to get this searched out. So we, we went to Jeremy's oncologist and he took her right away to get the, an ultra, do an ultrasound. And sure enough, they were tumors, not fibrocystic. And um, so because of her age, and she was in high school, I think a sophomore, he said a lot of times, we don't know if it's benign or not, but if it's not benign, they're going to grow. If they, if they stay the same or shrink, they could be benign. If, if they're cancer, they're going to grow. If they're benign, uh, they could stay the same or shrink. And so instead of doing surgery right away, he decided, let's wait a few months, which would be the end of school by then. So and I know your, your listeners, many of you have played the waiting game. Mm -hmm. And the waiting game is really hard because your mind does all kinds of crazy things. And so here we came off about a month before the whole thing with my son. And then it, it was like what seemed to be bathed in light because of almost the tangible presence of God in it with my son went to total darkness. So uh, everything was pitch black. I had no sense of God's presence. We were just trying to get through and then my mind was going crazy. So I was teaching preschool at a Christian school that in those days, and I used to go early to set up the classroom, and it was probably about March, so it was still dark when I'd leave the house, and I'd go on country roads, and I'd ride down the country road, and this one morning, I was riding down this country road, pitch black, which reflected the feelings of my soul at that time, and I, I said to the Lord, how can I have two kids with cancer? Now, that wasn't, that wasn't the diagnosis, but my mind's going there. How can right. I have two kids with cancer? What kind of toxic waste dump have we been living in to do that? How can this be happening? And uh, I, I felt like God was saying to me, I'm doing a work in, in your family's life, in Beth's life. And, you know, I'm a Christian parent. I always pray that God will work in my kids' lives. So how can I argue with the Lord on that one? But I said to I said to him, Jesus, how how do I as mom make it through the next few months in this waiting thing when my mom my mind's going crazy, and you know it's just totally dark, totally dark, and it's like clear as a bell, clear as a bell in the darkness of my drive down that country road to go to school. The Holy Spirit spoke to my heart and soul and said, Go to the place where you and I live together and nothing can touch, not cancer, not circumstances, not the darkness, not people, not nothing. Go to the place. And the interesting thing is I was learning. I was kind of getting free of the, the to-do list Christianity I had lived with for a while and probably all my growing up years to some extent. 
And God was teaching me about the indwelling Christ who lives in me and will live through me as I let him. And that's faith. So I was learning about that in my experience because I knew it theologically. But so I kind of knew where he was saying I should go. But, you know, before that, most of the time we think of prayer and, and communing with God, like we have to go to a certain place. We have to do certain things. And God is out there. And if we're doing it all right, you know, then he's going to come close. Where really he's already in us, in our spirit. He's united with our spirit. And so that when he said, when the spirit said, go to the place, I knew, or I kind of suspected where that place was, but it was like a totally new kind of thing in thinking of communion or prayer. So, so I, I went there. I went every time I went there, like when things were getting crazy in my mind or scary in the circumstances about the waiting, I would go there. And truly, when I went there in my spirit, my mind, and it's really a focus thing. When I let my mind go to there, the union with the living God through the spirit, I would have the peace that passes understanding. But then when I would take a look at what's all around the circumstances, I would go crazy again because I was going outward and looking at the external rather than going to the place where Jesus and I live together. God lives with me. And that's the place of perfect peace. And um, so um, that was what I started. I was going back and forth back and forth. And it was kind of, I guess, the learning. And really, even at that point, it was like, do I really believe this? Is this really right? Is this what? Because I wasn't hearing anybody talk about it that way. So I would just wanted to share, though, um, in the whole learning experience, because through that, I started really focusing on communing with God in my soul. And the thing is, you can do that anywhere. You don't need a place. I mean, it's wonderful to have a place. Like I was just at the beach and um, that's my favorite place to commune with God at sunrise on the ocean. And, um, you know, but that happened every three years or every, you know, even every year. But, but this is the place we can go anytime, whether you're a mom who has a bunch of little kids. I mean, how do you find time and a place? Well, you can just go for a few moments to where Jesus is in you and, and commune. And so my husband and I were starting to go to uh, the Cove, the Billy Graham Training Center at the Cove in Asheville. And we heard Jill Briscoe talk about this exact thing. And it was so exciting because I had never heard anybody talk about it. And she uses the term, the deep place where nobody goes, mm. except her with Jesus, with God. And then, so when we go to the deep place where nobody else can go except us, then we can go out into our real life and all the stuff and navigate it because it's coming from his life within us and through us. And we've gotten the peace that passes understanding. And so thankfully my daughter didn't have cancer. So, and that's what uh, we found out after a few months, but, but every time I would go to that place, I would experience peace. When I would come out and start looking at the storm, then 
I would have turmoil. So um, I have come across, though, also a poem by Amy Carmichael. Mm. And yeah, it's a familiar poem. I've heard it before, but it's in connection with the story of Jesus asleep in the boat. And, you know, like during waiting games, we feel like Jesus is asleep in our boat. What's going on, Lord? Don't you see we're going to perish here? You know, and, you know, then just with a word, he says, peace, be still when it's the right time. So thankfully, my daughter didn't have cancer. But um, anyway, maybe I can just read that poem. Yes, please. Just for kind of, yeah, and this is just to encourage the listeners. You have that place. If you know Jesus, you, you are in union with the living God in the depths of your spirit. Your spirit's united to his. And nothing can harm that. Nothing can intrude upon that. It's your place. However, we can choose to commune with the outside circumstances that, you know, and so it's our choice. I've heard one um, author say, our union with God is fixed because of our faith in Christ. It's fixed, but our communion can fluctuate depending on our focus, where we're looking and all of that. So anyway, that's our choice, right? It's our choice. Communion happens. Absolutely. The union's fixed. Jesus isn't going anywhere. (laughs) He's there. Even if it doesn't feel like he's there, he's there. Right. And we can go there and it's not about feelings. Sometimes he does give us feelings. Right. And we are always grateful for that, especially as women, you know, love to have those feelings, but even in the darkness and the waiting and the scariness, he's there and nothing's going to change that. He's always smiling at us. He's always there for us. And he's, he's the Prince of peace, but it, it, if we're, we're foolish enough to look outward or deceived enough to look outward and think that that's where we're going to get our peace and rest. It's not, it's not. So here's this poem by Amy Carmichael that I think is so great. And it kind of goes along with uh, that story. It's in Mark 4, if, uh, if anybody wants to look for it. Thou art the Lord who slept upon the pillow. Thou art the Lord who soothed the furious sea. What matters beating wind and tossing billow if only we are in the boat with thee? Hold us quiet through the age-long minute while thou art silent and the wind is shrill. Can the boat sink while thou, dear Lord, are in it? Can the heart faint that waiteth on thy will? And we say no, (laughs) right? No. And so, you know what? So now, I mean, over time, it took me a while to learn to be going there. But I think it's kind of like those habits, you know, you know, and even my waking thoughts, I asked the Holy Spirit, Lord, bring me to not my to-do list, not to my anxiety (laughs) producing things out there. First thing in the morning, bring me. Amen. So what I love is it took that dark place to work that. Yes. Yes. Romans 8, 28. Absolutely, (laughs) Athena. Absolutely. And isn't it, it's sad, but, but usually it's in those dark places that we learn the best lessons, maybe because we're listening better or we're actually, we're need, we're really more desperate. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Wow. Well, thank you so much for being with us today. That was 
whoo, very encouraging. I know that those who are out there listening were deeply touched by that. And so is there, are you on any social media? If anyone wanted to just reach out and connect to you, are you anywhere on social media? Well, I'm, I'm on Facebook, Janet Renner Lloyd, L O Y D. And then also my uh, author page, Jan Lloyd, and my blog is a branch in the vine.com. And I've been blogging for about 11 years and, but it's all my, my key, you know, like what, oh, what, what is it? Like my, um, when you write, you write your, yeah, is our union with Christ living from our union with actually the living God, because you can't chop up the Trinity. So if we have Jesus, we have them all, you know, father, son, and Holy spirit. And just that union, when we get that, it just changes everything. I mean, it's always been true if we're believers, but to live from there is our challenge. And it is our choice, like you said, Athena. Amen. Thank you so much. That Thanks, was Athena. Thank you for the opportunity. God bless you guys. Well, it is my pleasure to introduce all of you today to a boot camp alumni graduate, Sue Bowles. Actually, uh, Sue has been with us for a couple of different conferences, virtual She Writes for Him conferences and the boot camp. So welcome, Sue, to the All Things Podcast. And I'm just super excited to have our listeners hear your Romans 828 story. Thanks. I appreciate you having me on, Athena. When I think of Romans 8.28, and as I think through it, I quickly pick up two presuppositions that are really critical to my story. And the first presupposition I see in it is that God's going to work things together for good, and that means there's going to be bad. And the other presupposition is that God loves me. You see both of those in that verse. And I've had a lot of bad in my life. And until, honestly, about 2014, I even doubted God loved me. I called myself the holy exception that everything in the Bible was good enough for everybody else but me. I was too screwed up, too far gone. I was a waste of space. That's pretty much how I look at things. And and I'll explain as I share my story a little bit, it'll explain how how I reached that point. But then the pivotal point that happened in 2014, when I talk about the bad and what God has redeemed in that part of that Romans 828 story, I'm a childhood rape survivor. I was raped by a classmate when I was seven years old after school one day in first grade. And I didn't know the power of Bobby's last words to me. And they were simply, don't tell anybody. And unfortunately, it became a 15-year secret because I didn't tell anybody to my senior year of college a few years, a few weeks before I graduated. When I speak, because I, I speak in a number of different places, and when I speak, I, I talk about how when you're when how my emotions got frozen in time that day. And the longer you're in the freezer, the thicker the ice gets. So by the time I finally told someone, I didn't expect to tell anybody. It wasn't planned. And I didn't even know that it was going to come out. It, when something is inside you, any kind of trauma, at some point in time, it's going to find a way out. And mine came in a conversation with my dean of students. He was my trusted confidant. But what happened with that was that because there was so much time in between that the event and the trauma. And when I finally shared my story about it and came out about it, 
my brain, trauma rewires your brain. So my brain was not processing things well at all. I developed an eating disorder. So you add in malnutrition to an already traumatized brain. And I was really messed up. I ended, I was raised in a dysfunctional home. My parents divorced after 34 years of marriage. Dad was, is in recovery now for alcoholism. He's 30 years in recovery. I'm so dad blasted proud of him. My brother, a number of years ago, had to serve 18 months in prison for a drunk driving accident. He's now nine years sober. But in the course of, of my time in college with eating disorder, I became depressed. I was twice suicidal. I was suicidal when my parents were divorcing. I was suicidal when I was in high school. When I was in high school, there, were, there was other sexual abuse. So I had all this going on and all of it was a secret. So I didn't have just one secret. I had about eight or nine of them. I've later discovered there was even some spiritual abuse after I came to Christ. There's so much stuff. Even when, when I finally started dealing with things, I dabbled in cutting. So I, I, I've kind of been around the horn of self-harm and everything. And I said, I doubted God loved me because I was hacked off at God. If God loved me, why would he let that happen to me? Why would he let those things happen? And there's a whole theological discussion there I'm not going to get into because we're not, we're not, we won't go there. <laughs> but, but, you know, I realized that it's now part of my story. You know, we live in a fallen world and sin happens and, and God, you know, in his mercy and judgment allows things, allows us to reap the consequences of our sin because that's our, our sin nature. That's why we need a savior. And unfortunately, I had sin against me and that affected me. But what was cool is that I have a wonderful Christian counselor and I've been with her since 2008. And it was with her that I really started dealing with the rape for the first time. And it all started coming ahead. And in 2014, there was a movie that came out called Ragamuffin. And it's, it was based on the life of Rich Mullins. And it was a hard watch for me. Those first 20 minutes hit so hard that I was doing a lot of the silent wiping of tears because I couldn't let anybody know I had, know I was having struggles. When I was in college, I had perfected the mask, the, the persona of okay, because I had the eating disorder started because I didn't want anyone to know I had a need because if I had a need, then they would, I'd be found out. I'd be found out how messed up and how hurt I really was. So. I learned how to curb my hunger because my paranoia in my mind set it to be, or if I went up and someone saw me getting another serving of food, which I would have enjoyed and hunger is a human need, my mind warped it out that I'd be found out because Sue had a need and God forbid anyone knows Sue had a need. So I learned to shut off my hunger and I curbed it. I snacked instead. I found my value by being seen. So I was over involved in college. It's because if I see, if I was seen, I had value. If I stayed busy, I was seen. And if I was busy, I didn't have to think. If I didn't have to think, I didn't have to feel. And if I didn't have to feel, I didn't have to deal with my stuff. So it was a, just a tornado of things. And then this movie comes out, fast forward to 2014, and it just hit home. And I saw it a number of times with different people in my family, I shared it with my family. And later that spring, the producer and the family and friends of Rich Mullins who were involved in the movie decided they wanted to do a retreat to carry on the themes about masklessness and reckless living for living and parental relationships and those kinds of things. And it took me a while to sign on because I was more concerned. I was supposed to go to Nashville to visit some friends and God was tugging me. And I finally relented and gave in. 
And that was the first time I shared my story. One of the power is called walking stick retreats. And one of the powerful things of this retreat is they open up a retreat room for the attendants where you can just get to know each other and build community before the retreat. So this first one, we were all strangers and they asked us to share our stories. I lurked in the room for about three days before I finally got the courage to share my story. And I gulped after I hit send. And all day long, I was watching those comments and wait, I was just waiting. Someone was going to trash me. Someone was going to you know, blame me and everything. And I didn't, all I experienced was love, acceptance, people saying they're proud of me. And it gave me hope that it might be okay to not be okay. So I went and went to the retreat. And again, I went in calling myself the holy exception. Yeah, I was new kind of God wanted me there, but I really wasn't. I was just bracing for something. By the time that retreat ended, I left there saying and starting to believe for the first time that God loves me. And he not only loves me, he's absolutely crazy about me. And he even likes me. And that was a radical, radical change for everything that I've been through. Each retreat has built on the next thing for, for me. That my fir- The first time I just learned, I had to own my story. I was in denial about my story and I had to own it. And then the next year I learned I had to grieve my story because there was a lot to grieve that I hadn't grieved. And then the third year, the nugget I walked away with was that I am valuable to God that I am the pearl of great price that he goes looking for and that I have something to say and that my voice has value and my message is valuable. And it's, it's been, that's when I started writing my book. When I finally started to believe this, I had something worthwhile of being said and being heard and having an impact on people. That's when I started writing my book. So the book is called This Much I Know the Space Between. It's out on Amazon and Kindle came out in September, 2019. And it's an award-winning book, actually. And the first half of the book talks about my story. This much I know is my story, because that's the one thing no one can take from us is our story. So this much I know. The second half, the space between, talks about the journey between being wounded and having scars. And that is a powerful journey, because if you think about it, a wound is still bleeding. It's still a trauma. It's still an injury. It's still showing its effects. But for something to heal and become a scar, it becomes a story of hope for others. And so now my life, my story, my Romans 828 story is a story of hope. Behind my shoulder, you know, there's a quote on my wall by Rich Mullins. And it says, it's not going to matter if you have a few scars. It will matter if you didn't live. And that's what I have been learning to do is to not, my friend Billy Sprague says, learning to limp with style. And, and that, you know, I can't change anything that's happened, but I can change how I let it affect me. And now it's not, it's no longer a defining moment in my life in terms of its effect on me. I determine its effect and how I want to see God use it and let him use it. So now it's, it's a defining moment in terms, it's a pivot point for me. It doesn't define me. I define it now. Getting to this point has been a lot of hard work. I've got a very excellent, faithful counselor. I was my mom's caregiver. She passed away, you know, coming up on a year now, we're, we're at 11 months now. And we've been, she's been with me through it all. And we're going through a whole lot right now of who am I, what's my new identity without being mom's caregiver. And there's a whole lot going on with that. 
But in the course of all that, through the book and through everything going on, a whole realm of speaking has opened up. It started speaking at the local high school with just you know, sharing my story about eating disorders and speaking at a health class. And that became doing presentations at state level conferences for Ohio College Personnel Association. I spent, I have a master's in student development. I worked eight years on the college campus. Uh, so I've been presenting at that for the last three or four years now. Last year and this year, I'll be presenting at the annual conference for advancing school mental health, which is, is an annual and national conference hosted by the University of Maryland College of Medicine. So I'm presenting at that. I've been doing that for the last couple of years. I've got some coming up with the College of New Haven. So all kinds of all kinds of speaking events, a lot of podcasts, working on book number two. Last year, I became a master certified life coach as well so that I can be a voice of hope for other people, especially for believers. And my main message, my Romans 828 story is simply that it's okay to not be okay. Because as believers, I think we like to make it think like, you know, fake it till we make it. And that's not what God desires. God wants authentic living. And that means we have to be willing to take that risk and take off the mask. And I'm not talking our COVID mask. I'm talking <laughs> to the masks that we, I'm talking the masks that we wear that make other people, when we want other people to believe we are someone that we really aren't, we know we're dying on the inside. And then the other message is simply that you only have to be a step ahead to help the person behind you. Because I think we tend to convince ourselves, I can't be of any help until I get myself figured out, until I arrive at this point. And that's a bunch of bull. So it's malarkey is all it is. It's a trick of the enemy to keep us on the sideline. Because if, if you have healed from something that someone else is going through, your story, your scar is now a, a symbol of hope and a story of hope and a trail that someone else can follow. I experienced that earlier this year when after my mom passed away in April on Easter, a coworker tragically lost her father. Another coworker and I went out to her house to comfort her and just see what we can do to help. By the, there was a concern expressed by the managers about me going only because they knew it was so raw for me with my mom. And I said, I guess we're going to find out how it goes, aren't we? And I went out there and there were tears and I was able to comfort Veronica. But then by the end, she started asking me questions that, you know, we've got to go to the funeral home. Will they do this or what's going to happen? And just asking all these questions that I had just had six months prior, but I was a step ahead and I certainly was not healed, but I had at least gone through that much so that I could be Romans 28, 28 to her. And, and, and she has since come back and said that meant so much to her. So those are the messages I share as a voice of hope. It's okay to not be okay. And you only have to be a step ahead and help the person behind you. That's why my, my business name is My Step Ahead. It's all it's about. It's all it's about being a voice of hope and helping people take their next step. Mm, that's so powerful because, you know, it's hard for us to make sense of pain. Mm -hmm. And if we can see, oh, there is a purpose. Mm -hmm. It can be used for good. Right. And you don't have to be, you know, you don't have to have arrived. Exactly. You just have to be that little, you have to be that one step ahead because mm -hmm. you have experienced what many people are going to experience. Mm -hmm. And you're right. able to just take them by the hand and save them a lot of heartache mm -hmm. by sharing your story. I love that, Sue. Thank you so much for being with us today on the All Things Podcast and sharing. And that's a powerful Romans 828 story. 
just God's blessing on your continued ministry as God uses you to bring others hope. Thanks. I appreciate that. Well, I hope those stories brought you some hope today and perhaps a new perspective of how God really is working all things together for good in your life. If you'd thought about writing your story or have a manuscript gathering dust that needs to be reworked or fine-tuned, I would love to invite you to consider joining us for the next She Writes For Him Bootcamp coming up this October. It's a virtual event held in a private Facebook group and lasts for 21 days, but the majority of the schedule is highly flexible. This October will be our fifth bootcamp and every time the rave reviews just keep on getting better and better. God has blessed us with an incredible teaching team and we would love to have you join us. For all the information, check out SheWritesForHimBootCamp.com. Well, thanks for joining us today for the All Things Podcast brought to you by Redemption Press and the Romans 828 Bookstore. So, hey, I'd like to ask you a favor. If you would, consider sharing this episode with your friends on social media. And if you haven't yet left a review of the podcast on Apple, I would love it if you would take a minute to do that as it would help other people find the show and also let them know that it's a show worth listening to. So thanks so much for joining us today, and I will see you next week. Bye for now.